Father, this morning, this first Sunday of this 11th month, we look to you, Lord. We look to you. We believe. We believe for your grace. We believe for an abundance of grace. We believe your grace is sufficient for us. We believe. We believe. Because the word of God says you came full of grace. And out of that abundance of grace, we have received blessing upon blessing, Father. Today, once again, I pray faith will arise. Even now, not later, not tomorrow, now. And your children will stand in faith and in stand in grace. They will realize your grace is sufficient, more than enough. Commit everyone, Lord, even online, everyone. Touch every ear. Touch every heart. Speak to us, Lord. Let the hearing of the word bring faith so that we have that faith that pleases you. Not other faith. That faith that pleases our God. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Speak to us this morning. Teach us. We are in the last of the last days. We need more, not less teaching. We need more, not less faith. So speak to us. Bind every spirit of distraction. Every spirit of laziness, slumber. I bind them in the name of Jesus. And I speak an alertness in the spirit of everyone. Because you are the God, the judge of the quick and the dead. But let everyone be quick. Oh, Father, today, we just thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. Hallelujah. One of the things Jesus taught us to pray is thy kingdom come. When we pray that prayer, if we understand scripture, we will understand. Before his kingdom is manifested on earth, a lot of things will happen. A lot of things none of us will like. But it will happen. Because unless those things happen, his kingdom cannot come. Because the whole world's attention is riveted on a small piece of land in the Middle East, smaller than Telangana. But everybody's eyes is there. And it is there. It has to be there. Because what we are seeing is old covenant and new covenant prophecies. Okay, for those actual prophecies to be fulfilled, the ground be set. Okay, and all these things had to happen now. It couldn't happen in another age. Because the thing is that if it had happened in another age, the world wouldn't know. Like I told you, there are... Tens and thousands, probably millions of people in India who went through Second World War and did not know Second World War took place. The greatest event in human history. Okay, But now it is not possible. We are living in a time when Daniel prophesied in Daniel 12 where knowledge will increase. Okay, Knowledge will increase. We are living in an age that we call information age. Not only does it increase, it is accessible to everyone. Everyone is accessible. Okay, Everyone. So we are, these things have to happen. So when these things happen, we need to realize God is speaking to us because prophecies are being fulfilled. 
or the ground is being set, both old and new. I'll give you two verses. One is Zechariah 12, 2, and the other is Luke 21, 20. I've just picked it up from old and new. Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of drunkenness to all the surrounding peoples when they lay siege against Judah and Jerusalem. Then you come to Jesus' own words, but when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation is near. Okay, There was an actual application of this, which happened in 70 AD, but there is a future application of also this is going to happen because all these nations, and it's, it's almost like a chess chess game. The pieces are all falling into place. Okay? All falling into place. And you see the nations. Russia has turned against Israel. You saw that last week. Turned against Israel and is on the side of Hamas. And Russia is a very important player prophetically because the king of the north will come. Turkey has turned. They have withdrawn their council from from Jerusalem yesterday. Turkey is a very important player. Iran is a very important player. All these nations, China, everybody is moving. And you see anti-Semitism, means the hatred of the Jew, is at the highest ever. Everywhere. All around the world. The hatred for the Jews without cause. Why would you want to hate the Jews? What did they do? They're talking about Palestinians. But what does the Palestinian cause have to do with anybody? There are so many causes where you should be really upset about, which has been going on for longer than that. Nobody seems to be bothered. But this is demonic and it is real because it has to happen at the highest. Okay? So, parallelly on Mondays and Fridays, we are studying the book of Revelation. The most prophetic book of the end times. And probably this week, we will reach Revelation 4 and verse 1. When you reach Revelation 4 once, after these things, I looked and behold, a door standing open where? In heaven. The first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, come up here, I will show you things which you must, which must take place after this. Inspection of seven churches are over. And then, the next thing is, it's an open door, and after this, you don't see the church till Revelation 19, when she's getting ready for the wedding feast of the Lamb. Okay? So from there onwards, it is all about Israel. It's all about Israel. So when we get so excited about Israel, and watching riveted on news, you need to realize, when the attention goes to Israel, the church won't be here. Make sure you are in there. Because this is not information. This is real things that are happening before our eyes. Don't get blindsided. In Mark chapter 13, verses 28 and 30, this is what Jesus said. Now learn this parable from the fig tree. You know what the fig tree is in the Bible? It's Israel. That's why Jesus came to the fig tree and looked for fruit and he didn't find any Christian. Okay, fig tree. When its branches has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see these things happening, know that it is near at the doors. When you see these things happening, remember Revelation, Luke 21 is the prophetic. 
chapter about the end times. And he says, look at, look at, what was the first words? The fig tree. When the fig tree is budding. But it is not budding now. It's almost blooming. 75 years have passed by since it started budding. 2000, sorry, 2048. And in the year, uh, sorry, 1948, May 40. And that's what has happened. So, when you see this thing happening, please remember, it is at the doors. And the verse 30 says, yeah, assuredly I say to you, this generation, that generation that sees these things happening, that generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. So, that generation has to be very, very careful. And in verse 35 to 37, <clears throat> this is what Jesus says. Watch therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming. In the evening, at midnight, at the crowing of the rooster, or in the morning. Lest coming suddenly he find you. You know what sleeping is? Spiritually not alert. It's not about sleeping. You can be sleeping and absolutely prepared and he will take you. You can be wide awake and totally unprepared and you may be left behind. And the verse 37 is the warning. What I say to you, I say to all, watch. Okay? So, that is the setting. That is how we have to look at. That is how we have to be prepared. That is how we have to keep our attention. So, don't get blindsided by what is happening around in your own lives. Now, let's go to the text. Let us go to Luke chapter 18, verses 1 to 8. Then he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart, saying, There was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city. She came to him saying, Get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her lest by her continual coming, she weary me. Then the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge said. Shall God not avenge his own elect, who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you, he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on earth? Our issue is that when we read this, and that side is also true, we teach this as about prayer, about men ought to always pray and never give up. Why we should always pray, 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 pray. But we look at the context. The prayer is about Jesus' second coming. Where the elect are crying out day and night, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. That is a prayer, a prayer that never quits. For 2,000 years is elect. One cry has been common through the centuries is, Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. And he says, he will come speedily. It will be so sudden. It is not that he will come fast. It will be so sudden. Yeah, can you move this off? Yeah. And when he comes, the only question is this. Will he find faith on earth? Will you have faith? Will you have heard the word and prepared for his coming? Will you have faith? Or would you be caught 
without faith? That is the whole question. That's why we preach from the word of God. That's why we preach because the only way faith can come is by hearing. Hearing, hearing, hearing. Faith comes from hearing, hearing the word of God. We have to hear what God is saying and then we put our trust in what he is saying and prepare accordingly. That is what grace is given for. Let's look at another verse. All familiar verses, Luke 22, verse 31 and 32. Can one of you come and push this a little to the front so I don't have to turn? Because Abigail, I'll be very close to you. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. Satan will come and God will give permission to sift us. But I have prayed for you. This is Jesus' prayer. That our faith, your faith should not fail. Should not fail. Because if our faith fails, everything else fails. Our entire salvation is based on one thing, what we believe. Our faith should not fail us. He says, you will be sifted. You will deny me everything, but I have prayed one thing. Your faith will not fail you. You will come back. You will come back. And when you come back, you strengthen your brothers because your testimony will be a testimony that will strengthen a lot of people. I said there are two peoples in the old covenant in the book of Genesis. One is Jacob and the other is his son Joseph. And Joseph doesn't give us very encouragement because he never fails. But Jacob gives us very good encouragement because he's failing, 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 failing and ends as a superstar. (laughs) So he gives us a lot of hope. Okay, so he says when you come back, strengthen your brethren. So please remember, if my faith in Christ fails, my faith in God fails, everything else will start falling apart. Everything will falling apart. That's why faith is so important because without faith, it's simply not possible to please God. Let's look at another portion, okay? Matthew 9 and verse 27 to 29. When Jesus departed from there, two blind men followed him, crying out, imagine, two blind men followed Jesus. To follow Jesus when he's walking on the road, and if you are blind, you have to be listening very carefully because you have to distinguish between footsteps and know which footstep you are following. Okay? They're not seeing men, they're blind men. Son of David, have mercy on us. This is their prayer. And when he had come into the house, he got into the house. They understood he had got into the house because steps stopped. Then they heard the sound changes from the road to the house. The sound of the footsteps will change. And they also got into the house. The blind man came to him and Jesus said to him, okay, now he's asking this question. He flips the coin. He says, do you believe that I am able to do this? I understand your cry. You want to see. You are blind. You want to see. But the question is that, do you believe that I can do this? Whatever you are going through. Here, record is here. Different people. Do you believe Jesus can do that? Do you believe he can do that? The question. See, when he finished the Sermon on the Mount, when he came down, there was a leper. He never doubted whether Jesus could do that. 
He knew Jesus could do that. But he knelt down and said, Lord, if you are willing. And Jesus said, I am willing. So the question is, you may believe that Jesus can do anything, but you may not believe he is willing to do it. Because if God is willing to do this, it has to be according to his will. So one of the things by learning, hearing the word of God is that we start understanding the will of God. And often now, people like me who have come to that age, when we look at retrospective effect, looking at life backwards, okay, we will realize so many prayers were not answered, not because God was not able, but it was not his will. It was not will. It was not his will. Okay, so that's why it's a good prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in my life. Earth, leave it, leave earth alone. Okay, it will happen whether you pray or not, but at least in my life, Lord, let your will be done. So he asked this question, do you believe that I am able to do this? And they said to him, yes, Lord. And then in verse 29, he touched their eyes and saying, according to your faith, let it, let it. According to your faith, let it. He says, you will see only according to your faith, even this morning. You will not see beyond the level of your faith. Everyone sees here. Everyone who is saved here will see. But we won't see at the same level. We will see only at the level of our faith. The more you believe, the more and more your faith grows strong, the more and the more you will be able to see. That is why it is important we grow in our faith. Not a people are not able to understand the scripture. Not a people going through life is not able to see. You know why are they not able to see? It's simply because you will be able to see only according to your faith. Because in life, it is the other way. It is according to sight. In the kingdom of God, it is according to faith. And there is only one way faith will come. Faith comes from hearing. Hearing from the word of God. That is the first thing. The word of God is the first. Then by hearing, when the word of God is being preached. Then by believing. Then by meditating. Then by confessing. And then by doing. As you go through this over and over and over again, your faith increases and you start seeing Things better and better and better and better and better. So the question Jesus asks is, when the Son of Man comes, will you be able to see? When he comes, will you be able to see? Will you have the faith to see? Will you have the faith to hear? Because he will come with the trumpet sound of the archangel. Will he able to hear? Will he able to see? Don't worry about the second coming. Yeah, please can you close that door? Don't worry about the second coming. Second coming is different. It says every eye will see. Like lightning flashes from sky to sky. Every eye will come because he is coming to judge. We are not talking about that one. We are talking about the church. Will be able to see? It's a question. Not to scare you, but also to scare us. Okay, that's why it's important. Like we keep hearing from the two voices you hear from here. One third of the Bible is prophecy. 
One third of the Bible is prophecy. And most of the prophecies are connected with Jesus' second coming than his first coming. Okay. And if you do not see, can you imagine if you do not see, if you are a Jew, and you do not understand Isaiah 53, you will be struggling for your life even now. Because you didn't see. You didn't receive your Messiah when he came. And in Greece, you rejected your Messiah. You opened your foolish mouth and said, let his blood be upon us and upon our children. It's still there upon them. And they have, God will protect them because even when they are unfaithful, he is faithful, but he will only protect a remnant. But they will keep dying. For the past 2,000 years, the Jews have been dying and dying and dying and dying till today they are dying. They are dying. You know when they will be rescued? When they look at him. And they will receive him whom they pierced. Okay? So we need to realize if you do not see, we will be stuck. So we have scripture. We have three primary portions in the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Now, we have today, because we are here, we have one camera. If you are there in Jivan Jyoti, there will be two cameras. But imagine a hall where there are three cameras, and then there is a drone with a camera from the top. All kind of things happen. But all these three, four cameras are taking pictures of the same same event or the same person. But because it is from different angles, it looks different. So Matthew, Mark and Luke are talking from the same. Only John is the drone one because he straight away begins from above. John's gospel is not like the other one. He goes, in the beginning was the word, the word was... So he goes, it's a drone beam. Matthew is from far away. He looks from far. He goes to the the beginning, a genealogy. And Luke also is a little far. Mark is very like, you know, focusing. 15 chapters, the whole thing is over. Okay, so that is how it works. But he's talking about the same thing. So whenever you study certain portions, especially in the New Testament, which is repeated, it's good if you have a computer, even if you don't have a computer, even if you have uh, one card, cut it into three and put it into three portions and read it together or three steps. It's good to study because like, you know, like the parable of the sower and uh, the parable of the feeding of, not parable, the feeding of the 5,000 is there in all five Gospels. And if you read it, study it separately and together, so many things will come because God is trying to speak to us. And if we don't search, he will not speak. If we don't take his kingdom and his word as primary diet in our life, he's not going to. We have, he knows who puts his kingdom first and he puts his kingdom second and who doesn't think about the kingdom at all. He knows it. But whoever puts it first, okay, puts it first, he will start speaking to us because we need to hear. We need to hear. So you have Matthew 24, you have Luke 21, and you have Mark 13, where it is basically the same, but Jesus is talking about the last days. Last days. Three cameras, same picture, three different angles. We will look at Matthew 24. Okay, but that's not what we are studying. But keep this in mind because as the time is rolling, I need to do some power steering and bring you back to the kingdom of God because by, you know, by one o'clock you are gone. (laughs) You are gone. 
Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple and his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. Can you believe it? Jesus went out and departed from the temple. And that temple, those remaining, last remaining walls, you can still see the Jews going and crying over it. He departed from it. And his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. And it was fulfilled 40 years later. Everything was destroyed except that wailing wall as they call. Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end? The age. So they came to it privately. Remember, disciples go to Jesus privately or he teaches them separately. He does not speak to them as he speaks to the crowd. Be a disciple. Even if you're all alone in your study or wherever studying your Bible, he will teach you. He will never uh, leave a disciple untaught. Because if he leaves a disciple untaught, he's not a disciple and he's not a teacher. Okay? So he will tell. So the, they asked him two questions. First question is, you said something. When will these things be? When will these things be? What, three questions actually. What will be the sign, the sign of your coming? Not what will be the signs of your coming. Okay? What will be the, so he will give signs and the sign. What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? We are coming very close to the end of the age. age. Jesus gives a very detailed answer. Not for them, but for us. Because these answers matter only to whom, upon whom the end of ages has come. It didn't make much difference to them. Okay, because they had to read it according to their times and they thought, okay, Jerusalem has been destroyed. That's how they read it. Let us see his answer. What does he say? 24 and words 4. First thing, Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed, take heed, that no one deceives you. So the first thing he says is, be careful. Be very, very careful. Okay? We were talking about fake news in the last days. Now that AI has come in, fake news has gone into infinity. You have AI sermons where there are no pastors, where the congregation sits and everything is by AI in the West. And this is not an AI sermon. I prepared. (laughs) So the question is, take heed that no one deceives you. So the question is, how do I take it? How do I prepare myself? How do I be careful that I am not deceived? So the question is, how does deception come? What is the modus operandi of the deceiver and those who knowingly, unknowingly serve him? The two groups, knowingly serve him, unknowingly serve him. So we will go to the beginning where the first salesman comes with his sales pitch in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1. 
Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. So remember, deceivers are very cunning. They are very clever. They are very cunning. They are not wise. They are very clever. Very cunning. And the Lord God, he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? So first thing he said to the woman. Okay, Now that doesn't mean the deceiver only speaks to women. He only speaks to the, to the men too. But what does it mean in that context? What does it mean? The deceiver will always try to speak to the softer side of you, the emotional side of you. The pitches to the emotions. Pitches to the emotions. Okay. Okay. Not to your reason, not to what you have heard from God. It will always pitch this on your emotions. Okay. So you will see messages, no, you will see your people are jumping and dancing and everything. A little later, nothing is happening. Life is still the same. So you know, this was a very good salesman. He pitched the ball very well. Everyone is very excited. Okay, very excited, no? So, first thing. And then he said to the woman, As God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Okay, we leave that. It just gives you a picture how that he, how deception takes place. One. The enemy will not speak into your life where God has not already spoken. Enemy will not speak into your life where God has not already spoken. He doesn't have to speak in the other other areas because you are already deceived there. So he won't bother his time because he's a very busy person. But where God has spoken, where God has spoken. So be very careful about where God has spoken. He will come and speak there. Okay. That is how he brings a lie. Okay. How does deception take place? Because God has spoken. That is the truth. And the devil comes and starts questioning what God has spoken, which is a lie. And if you believe the lie, you are deceived. If you believe the truth, you stand on the truth. You are free. Okay. This is how it happens every time. So the question is, Jesus says, take heed you are not deceived. So the answer is, how should I take heed? And Jesus gives the answer. It's all there in the Bible. Go to Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 10, how the whole world will get deceived and actually most of the world is deceived now. Enemies at full force working. And with all unrighteous, what? Deception among those who perish. Why? Because of one thing. What is that one thing? They did not receive the love of the truth. That's the only reason. So if I don't want to be deceived, what is that? Not that I receive truth. Because that takes time. First I have to receive the love of truth. Okay. Love of truth. Now we have, the baby has gone to the other side. We have a baby here. Okay. We have a baby here. So many babies are born in the world. So many babies are born. And many are aborted, killed, abandoned. So many are there. So, for a baby 
to grow normally in every way. The first thing you have to receive, the father and the mother, is the love for the baby. Love for the baby. If you don't receive love for the baby, then the baby is going to have a difficult time. Okay? So truth is a very big word. Truth is a very big word. It will take us all of eternity to understand truth. So what do we need to receive? In our hearts, we need to receive the love of truth. And in very simple way, in this lifetime, God has given his word and he has said, my word is the truth. Okay, first. Okay. My word is the truth. So here God has spoken. And he has spoken in so many different people's life. And we see the examples of those who stood by truth and those who deviated from the truth. What happened to all these people? The whole history of mankind from Adam onwards is given. To whom God has spoken. Okay, So that is important. What did God say? The simple question each one of us should ask. Young and old is that. In every situation, every eventuality we will face in life, the simple question to ask is, before I take a decision, what did God say? What did God say? Oh, this was written so many thousands of years ago, 2000 years ago, we are living in the 21st century, what did God say? You need to realize the Bible covers everything. Either in fact or in principle. It covers everything. Like I said, we were in Jharkhand and uh, Tuesday after that meeting, uh, Wednesday whole morning was with the young people. At night we had a revival meeting. So the young people had questions. You know? Young people always have questions. And if you are young people, you don't have questions, you are not young. You are very old now. And people always have questions. So I, when I made this statement that for any question you have, you should ask, what did God say? Because it is covered here. And one young girl asked, uncle, what about exams? So that's a question, right? You all students have to write exams. They said, what does the Bible say about exams? Exams, that, like the exams you write. I said, once upon a time, there was a young man called Daniel. And he was in the undergraduate program in the King's University. He was enrolled for a three-year program. At the end of the time, there was going to be an exam. And the Bible says when he was examined, he was found ten times better than all the others. And the reason is because he decided to honor God. It's not that he didn't work hard. He worked hard. He cannot be a lazy fellow. All of them worked hard. But what made Daniel different? So how do you tackle exams? Simple thing. You put God first in your own context. He decided he will not defile himself. When he, this young man took a decision in the university mess in our language, he didn't know where this decision would lead him one day. But he didn't look at all those things. He realized this is how I need to study. And this is how I need to write my exams. And the rest was God. So if you ask, these are the simple things. Okay, simple things. So any one of you can pick anything you are going through, any topic, any subject, any issue, it is covered in the Bible. Okay. So the question was there about work, jobs. I said, 
Work and career are two different things. The Bible doesn't talk about a career. The Bible talks about work. Whatever your hand finds, do it with all your strength. As unto the Lord. Career is a human word. We are more career oriented. God is work oriented. If you are career oriented, you will miss the kingdom. You will miss the kingdom. Because your career should be chosen by God. Should be chosen by God. But God will pick your career only if you have a work ethics. If you have work ethics. So career does, really doesn't matter. Career really doesn't matter. Because if you want to look in terms of career, the question you need to ask is, what are you looking for? Normally, average young person, dabbu. Right? After you get dabbu, then you want glory. But not glory first, it's dabbu. If it is glory, every undergraduate should be writing, preparing for IAS. No, very few in the whole population, right? Everybody is after double money. Right? Like the question I asked my students in Bhutan. Oh, sitting over there, I said, what are you planning to do? Oh, everybody wants to write Royal Civil Service exam. And there are hardly number of posts in that small country. I said, why do you all want to be collectors? In their country, it is called Zongda. Why is that? Everybody wants to be a collector. So I said, ask them. Okay, I said, I will give you a homework and I will, this weekend, you go and then next Monday when you come to class, give me an answer. I said, do you all, boys? I said, do you all cut your hair? Yes, sir. Every, it was, haircut was, mine was 30 years ago also like this, then also like that. I said, who, who cuts your hair? The Indian barber. I said, you go and ask him. Ask him this Saturday, go and ask him how much money does he make. Then come back. So, next class I asked them, how much does the barber make? They said, after all his expenses, sir, in those years, he makes around thirty to 35,000. I said, good. And by the way, how much does your collector make? <laughs> they said, around 20K, sir. I said, good. There you got it. But does anyone want to be a barber? No. Here, does anybody want to be a barber? Anybody wants to allow your child to grow up be a barber? When God sent his son, he was a collector, no carpenter. Okay? So simple things. Let God choose your, choose your career. God, you should have work ethics. If God chooses your career, he will take care of you. You don't ever have to worry about it. He will take care of you. But imagine, I asked this question there also. Imagine you are a barber. You are an electrician. You are a plumber. You are a carpenter. All this, no, nobody wants to be any of these things. Imagine, no, you are a barber. Imagine I am a barber, believing barber, chosen by God to be a barber. And I got all these customers coming in. I am praying in tongues and giving them the witness. How many customers a day do you know? Do you know why we say the largest church in the world is in China? Because God inverted the order. Because when Mao Zedong took over China, all the Christians were blue-collared, big workers, landlords, and business owners and all. Mao killed a lot of them and then took everybody's property and everything and threw them into the streets. So in one day it was inverted. Now all the Christians were scrambling for work. And the only works left was scavenging, working as housemaids and servants. 
But the thing is that every house now was open for the gospel. Because yesterday's rich woman, when she is washing dishes today and singing songs, they look at her and said, you lost everything. What is the reason for your joy? And they are able to testify Christ. So we are not thinking kingdom. We are not thinking witnessing. We are not thinking testimony. Because the kingdom is not our objective. It's not our objective. So I'm not saying you shouldn't have a great career. But it doesn't matter. Will God pick your career? So everything in life is defined by the word of God. And you should have the guts to God and ask, what do you say? What do you say? Because this is the guard against deception. If you do not know what God is saying in a particular situation, then I will be deceived. Okay? There are two ways in which deception takes place. First is ignorance. That's why God says my people perish because of lack of knowledge. If you do not know what God has said, what God has said, I keep saying till last night, faith comes from hearing and hearing from the it doesn't come first from hearing. It comes from the word of God. So if you do not know, so you don't go for hearing first. Because if you do not know your word, your hearing can be manipulated. Because there are many voices out there. That's what the Bible says, test the spirits. The Bible never says test the word. It is written. Heaven and earth will not will pass away, not a dot from my word. I have magnified, exalted my word above all my name. It never says test the word. You will say, test the spirit. So the issue is that if you are not reasonably well-versed, at least in terms of the principles of how God works, the word of God, your hearing can be impaired. You can be manipulated. So the, it's from ignorance people perish. God's people perish because they do not know what the word of God actually says in a particular context. Honestly, tell me, you can randomly pick any topic in life and throw it, you will realize there's an answer in the word. Any topic. Because if every topic in a person's life, any person's life, any part of the world of every age is not covered in the word of God, you and I cannot live by faith. It is not possible to live by faith because faith encompasses every area of our life. And faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. So God will not make from us a demand which his word does not supply. How do I live by faith if an area in a particular area in my life is not covered? Then God is a liar. The Bible says no. God is not a liar. He's not a liar. God never lies. That is why everything has to be brought first to the test of God's word. What did God say? Very simple. Very simple. Because the only way you and I can live a sin, I don't want to say sinless, an overcoming life is whatever is not a faith is sin. Whatever of faith is not sin. Very simple. So this is a question, simple question. What did God say? What did God say? What did God say? So the first way is ignorance. We get deceived. It's like blindness. Ignorance it's like blindness. You stumble and fall because you did not know. The other way you get deceived is you reject what God has said. You reject what God has said. 
Why did Israel go through all they have gone through? Because they rejected what God had said. God sent his son to his own, but they rejected him. On top of that, they opened their mouth and cursed themselves. With the most innocent blood, they cursed themselves. Yet God is faithful and he still has mercy upon them and a remnant will come through. So the question is, what did God say? Why are people deceived? God says, because they do not receive the love of truth. It's not the truth. We are all on that road of truth. I am the way, the life, the truth and the life. Okay? On that way. But we need to receive. We need to receive the word of truth. And Matthew 24 and verse 5, next verse, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. Please understand this. You can be deceived only by those who come in his name and not by the others. Others do not have the power to deceive you because they do not have access to truth. Truth is connected with Christ. So, there will be many who will come in the name of Christ. Deception can take place only in his name. There is no deception in Islam. It is just blindness. Absolute blindness. Religions, it is blind. They don't know Christ. They do not know Christ. Okay. So, deception we have to be careful is within the body of Christ. I have to be careful that what I, that's why we, people will ask, why do you take so much time and put all the scripture over there? One, I am not deceived. Two, you are not deceived because it is according to the word of God and not the fancy of any man. The power of God is in what he has spoken. So we are not relying on education, knowledge or eloquence. We are relying on what God has said. What God has said. So next thing he says is, many will come in my name. And then he comes to verse 6 and 7. He says, you will hear of wars and rumors of war. See that you are not troubled? For all these things must come to pass, but the end, end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there will be, and then he quotes three things. So he talks about wars and rumors of wars. We also need to realize this is talking about now. Like I said, 100 years back when the first world war took started, I think in 1933, half the world did not even know there was a world war going on. Okay. But now when small little conflict, conflict in Manipur, the whole world knows. So he uses two things. There will be wars and rumors of wars and he uses two terms here. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be two kinds of primary conflicts. One will be ethnic. Ethnic conflict. The other will be political or national. So you have Manipur, you have a situation. It's ethnic. It's an ethnic conflict within a state, within a nation, between the cookies and the matis. It's ethnic. It's ethnic. While you have in Israel, it is political. It's a political war. Okay, It is between the Muslims and the Jews. It's between Israel and the Muslim nations. You have another war taking place between Russia and Ukraine. It's both ethnic and political. 
It's both ethnic because there are Russian population people in so many parts of Crimea, Ukraine and all. That's why Russia went in over there because they want those parts to be part of them. So there is an ethnic and a political battle going on. Okay. So God says these things will all happen right before your eyes. But the end is not here. But you need to realize when you see these things, you says you will hear if you go there. Not to verse six. It is an important thing. It's a, you will hear. This is important because hundred years back people did not hear. So it has to be when prophecy is written. It is applicable in a time when you can hear. When you can hear. Like I said, uh, Saturday morning when you wake up, you heard there was an earthquake in Nepal. But if you've been to that place, I've been to that place, I said I have preached in that place, I've gone up. It's one of the remote areas of Nepal. The other court, very remote area. It took me around 36 hours to reach there. In today's world. And the question is, another time, if that had happened, we would not have known. There was no communication. You would not have known. You would not have known. So you will hear. So it's specific to certain periods in time when communication is possible. And then he says about three things. What is that? Major, he will say, there, there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. Okay, did you see that? If you go to the parallel in Luke, you will see he talks about terrible signs in the heavens. On earth, three things. What is that? Famines, pestilences and earthquakes. And in heaven, you will see all kinds of signs. And he says, these things will happen. Earthquake happened on Saturday. Famine is there in so many parts of the world. So many parts of the world. And wars. Right? And earthquakes and famines and pestilence. Then he comes to verse 8 and he says, these are all the beginning of sorrows. The actual word is, these are the beginning of birth pains or labor pains. What does it mean? If there is birth pains, there has to be a birth. Something is going to be born. That's why nature, heavens, nature, and the human relationship, everything is going through pangs because something incredible is going to be born. What is going to be birthed? The kingdom of God is coming. The sons of God are going to rule. So all of creation, Paul will say in the book of Romans, is groaning for the sons of God to be revealed. Something is going to happen. The thing with labor pains is that as the as the, the time of delivery gets nearer and nearer, the contractions increase. So you will see a sudden acceleration. Before Turkey got up from the ruins of the earthquake, Afghanistan was hit. Before it went off the headlines, Nepal is hit. There is a rapidity of what has is happening. Words were always focused on Ukraine and Russia. Now Ukraine is saying, please don't forget us. Because everybody's eyes is there on Israel. And everybody is getting ready. Will it turn into World War Three? Will all nations start getting involved in it? So you need to realize the contractions are increasing. Increasing. Now you need to understand something. When all these things happen, all these things happen, they don't mean 
anything to the entire Gentile world or even to Israel. Only we know what is coming. Only we know what is coming. The only Indian newspaper, I only read online, that had an article was Deccan Herald that is published from Karnataka, which says about the evangelicals, it was an article, evangelicals connecting what is happening in Israel to the second coming of Jesus Christ. Only one newspaper. Nobody has any clue, because they are not privy to this information. Not even the Jew. Jew is sitting there and waiting for his Messiah to come. He has no clue. We have been given information. So we need to realize we are blessed. We are privileged. Yeah, just shut the door because the AC is on. Only because of that. Okay. So the question is, what are you waiting for? All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. What are you waiting for to be birthed? What are you waiting for? Is the question. What are we waiting for? And then when it comes to verse 9, they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. You will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Do you see that? Two entities alone. Two entities alone. One of course is Israel because his first covenant is with them. And then the believing church. I don't say the church. I say the believing church. Do you see the hatred against Israel against the believing church? Did you see? All you have to do, those who, all those who work in IT companies, put your hand up. IT company. All you have to do in IT companies and be very vocal about what you believe on sex, gender and marriage. You will see you are hated immediately. This is what I believe. This is what I believe. This is what I believe about sex. This is what I believe about gender. This is what I believe about marriage. You say these three things because you are a Bible believing, they will call you a radical fundamentalist. Because this is what you believe. I will tell you, if you are in the IT company and you are very vocal about it, I guarantee you within six months you will lose your job. They will either tell you, shut up and get up, get out, shut up or get out. We will terminate you. Even in colleges, your colleges, schools, the schools where these children studied with the name of the shepherd is now talking about pride. Pride. God says, they will hate you. That hatred is unreasonable. You are not saying anything about them. You are only saying about yourself. This is what I believe. They said, you don't have the right to believe like that. That is what they mean. You do not have the right to believe like that. There are only two genders. Marriage is between man and woman alone. You don't have the right to believe like that. If you don't know what hatred is, he says, you will be hated. Why? Because of my name's sake. I said so. And you stand in the marketplace, your college, your school, your workplace, and you say, and Israel is hated only for become being Israel. 
anti-Semitism. And then you come to verse 10, he says, then many will be offended, will betray one another. These two things goes together. This is why Jesus always said, no, guard your heart against offense. It is impossible for offense not to come. He also said that. Offense will come. It's not possible. The only way you can not offend anybody is one, by saying nothing and always smiling. Even if you smile all the time, they will say, are you mad? Are you smiling at me because of this? What did you see in me to smile? So it's almost impossible not to offend anybody all the time. So he said, but he says, be careful because many will be offended. And what does offense do? It betrays. So simple thing, he says, guard, guard your heart. Guard your heart. Offended people betray. They get, I'm the, see, Cain was offended because Abel's sacrifice was received. He was offended and his was not. He was offended. We don't know how powerful this thing called offense is. Because God himself warns us over and over and over again. God says, be warned. Because offense will lead to betrayal and hatred even among the closest of relationships. Relationships, okay? And one of the things which I have always noticed, okay? I'm not making any judgment on anybody. When children are growing up, now we have three children here, no? The children grow up, you know, siblings grow up, they grow up loving each other, fighting, making up everything. But things change when they get married. One, one, another stranger, alien comes into this, this one, and this one, this thing comes in, okay? That, I don't know what happens. That old relationship just goes. Just goes. Now, I'm not saying that they shouldn't get married. That's not what I'm trying to tell. What happens is, though, then offense comes. So you tell something, let us say, to your own brother or your sister, which you said hundred times earlier, in high degrees, nothing bothered him. Two days later, he's bothered because she was bothered and then she inflamed him. Offense comes. This is how things happen. The devil is busy because he knows. He knows scripture. He knows how God has ordained things. If God says, guard your heart from offense, then he will try to create offense. They create offense. So we have to be, because in the last days, God says, many will be offended. And you have to say, Lord, please let me not in that be that many. Let me not be offended by anybody, anything anybody says. I'm a dead man. I died in the waters of baptism. I am not offended. Because only the old man can be offended. The new man can never be offended because the new man knows who he is. So how can he be offended? Okay, that is one of the ways you know which one is out. Old man or the new man. Then the next verse. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. Why did he put this over there? Because in this climate... In this climate, you know, bacteria doesn't grow in all climates. Bacteria and fungus grows in certain climates, okay? When it is dark and humid and all, bacteria, viruses, you know, they just multiply. So you have this kind of a situation. People are, you have the maximum number of Bibles in the world 
than any other time and most of the Bibles are unread. Okay, unread. Shall I ask you to put up your hands, everyone who read the Bible this morning? I don't want to embarrass you. Everybody is looking very bravely. <laughs> Be careful. I will ask you to swear on the Bible and they'll ask you whether you read the Bible. <laughs> Ignorance of the word which is a killer. Then all these things, wars and rumors, wars and famine and pestilence and death and no betrayal and hatred. In this climate, prophets will thrive. Which prophets? False prophets. Will thrive. Remember when before the fall of Israel, Judah, there was one Jeremiah and hundreds of false prophets. Jeremiah would say, repent and turn to God. All the others will say, peace and safety. So this is a climate in which false prophets will come. They will keep you very comfortable. They will give you nice floss, floss candy sermons. They will tell you about, my brother, I heard this from the Lord about your prosperity and your all these things. When the day of the Lord is knocking at the door, who wants prosperity? Imagine the two angels went to Sodom and told Lord, I have a word from you, brother. The Lord told me to tell you, you're going to really prosper in the days to come. And next day, sulfur and fire comes. <laughs> if you look at the messages, you, you see on the net and everything, you wonder which planet these pastors are living in. They don't seem to be from earth because all the prophecy is connected with earth. Their prophecy seems to be about another planet. They are not preparing their people for anything. See, at least I have the responsibility of warning you. This is what is happening. This is in the light you have to see. This is happening in the Middle East. It's all been foretold, but it is not about Israel. It is about us. Before God will turn his eyes to Israel, a church has to be prepared and to be ready. Deal with your issues in your life. Deal with unforgiveness. Deal with offense. Deal with hatred. All these issues. And be sure you're walking by faith. You're walking by faith. You're walking by faith. Because in this situation, they will thrive. False prophets will thrive. Cluts, cults will mushroom. All secret meetings will all take place. Special revelations will be given which has got nothing to do with the word of God because the atmosphere is ripe for all these things. Right, so be careful. And then comes words 12. Because lawlessness will abound. What will abound? Lawlessness. You see, this is this statement which is made by lots of people, but it's very true. You can do law enforcement, can do nothing once the majority of the people are lawless. Can do nothing. Now you see the kind of stuff that is happening in US, especially two states, California and in New York. You will wonder what is happening. It's because the people, the young people have become lawless. And the laws have been changed. Nobody will be arrested. So you can loot shops, you can beat up people, you can even kill people and you can come out on bail. Lawlessness. Lawlessness. 
Now we understand and we worry about the lawlessness on the streets. We don't have to worry about the lawlessness on the streets. We have to only worry about our own lawlessness. Now the most interesting part about lawlessness and the law is the church. Especially churches like ours. There are other churches where lawlessness is not allowed. Talking about this church. Let me ask you this question. Can I compel you to come on time? Can I compel you to come prepared? Can I compel you to praise? Can I compel you to worship? Can I compel you to read the word? Can I compel you to give your offerings? Can I compel you to give your tithes? Can I compel you to fellowship? I cannot compel you to do anything. Therefore, you will know whether you are lawless or not. Simple. We do not know how lawless we are inside. These things don't bind on me. So if you are consistently, without reason, always late to church, you need to take a check. Why am I lawless? Why am I lawless? If you don't listen to the word at all, you will never pray. You will never thank God. You will never praise God. You will never do any of these things. And you know, you never tithe. You never give. You never do any of these things. You need to understand something is wrong inside. You know what? I don't have to look at the streets of New York or SFO or any of these places. I just have to look into my heart. Lawlessness is abounding on my own heart. I'm a lawless person. That's a simple question we need to ask. Because we are not talking about the laws of the world. We are looking at what God demands from us. Demands from us. So he says, lawlessness will abound. And what will happen? The love of many will grow. Ah, we look at it and say, oh, thank you, Lord. Matthew 24, 12 was written in English and not in Greek. Because if it was written in Greek, do you know what the word love is? It's agape. So it's not talking to the Gentiles. It is not talking to the Jews. It's only talking to the church because no Gentile can have agape unless you are born of God. Agape is only given to God's children. It is the love of God given to those children who are birthed by God. And the warning to us is in the last days, the agape love of God's children will grow cold because they will become lawless. So it's a warning to me. It's a warning to you. It's not a warning to the people in the world. It's not a warning to them. It's a warning to us. Because this is possible only for the born again children of God. Because others do not have access to agape. It's only access to, to us. So therefore I have to check my heart. You know, And that's what the Bible says to the church in Ephesus. Do the things which you did first. You have fallen. You have left your first love. Come back to that. Come back. Do those things. It will come back. So we have to be very, very careful because these are warnings given to us. Warnings given to us. What will happen when love grows cold? People will start falling away. That is why in the last days, before the Antichrist will come, 
there is a great falling away. You cannot fall unless you are standing. Meaning this is again not written to the world. It is written to the church. People in the church will fall away from faith. Believing Christ. Actually standing there. Therefore, we have to be very, very careful and I am glad that everyone is here. <laughs> you came to church. Thank God you came to church. Thank God you are listening to the word. Thank God you don't miss because we need to be one over and over again. Not only that, the Bible says, as we see that day approaching, gathering more, encouraging one another to love and to good works. Why? Because the day will come upon us unexpectedly. Then comes the next verse. Verse 13. Yeah, Matthew 24, 13. Can I have it? Hmm? But he who endures to the end shall be saved. So in Jesus' entire discourse on the last days, there is the most important quality that he requires. Therefore, I need, you need, what is it? It is endurance. It is endurance. Most important. He lists from Matthew 24, 4 to 12, he lists the kind of situation that is going to happen. And in that terrible situation, heavens and earth and human relationships and family background, everything. He says, will you endure? Will your love endure? Will your faith endure? Will your prayer life endure? May not to always pray and never give up. And when the Son of Man comes, will you find faith or not? That you have endured? That's the question that is asking. What you have to come through at a personal society level? It's written. The whole thing is written. First Timothy chapter 3 verses 1 to 4. This is what we have to come through. Oh, oh Second Timothy, right? It will be perilous times. Yeah. Second Timothy. <laughs> but notice that in the, when? Last days. While it be dangerous, perilous times will come for men will be lovers of themselves. If you go abroad and if you read notices kept in hotel rooms, you will be shocked. All the notices are warnings what you should not do. If you go out, you have to be careful. 20 years back, 30 years back, 50 years back, you could walk on the streets without fearing nothing. Now they warn you. Why? For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. Yes, three. Unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despiders of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. But the Bible says this is the kind of situation in which you are going to live in the last days. Question, you have to come through this. Will your love endure? Will your faith endure? Will it endure? Okay. This is a question God is asking. The question is, do I have the faith that will endure? Do I have the faith that will endure? 
of all God's characteristics towards us. We know His holiness, His righteousness, His love, His mercy, but there's something connected to all that is that we sing His mercy endured. His mercy is not a normal mercy. It's an enduring mercy. His faithfulness towards is not a normal faithfulness. It's an enduring. Israel is not destroyed even after 2,000 years of unfaithfulness because even when they are unfaithful, we are unfaithful, He's still faithful because His faithfulness is an enduring faithfulness. The enduring quality. So in Matthew 10 and verse 22, this is what God says. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end will be saved. Think about it. Here, everybody, everybody. There's nobody sitting in this room who is hated by all. There's somebody who loves you and a few people may hate, hate. There is nobody sitting here who can say, I am hated by all. But if you are actually hated by all, the question is, will you, will you have faith in there? Will you be still loving? Will you love and you? Can you be very sure? Yes, yes, yes. That is why God puts us through tests and trials so that we will know. Otherwise we will never know. We will never, never know. We are put in such terrible situations as we higher and higher and higher the flames will increase so that we will know. That our faith will come through our faith. And no generation will be tested like this except the last generation. Previous generation did not have to go through this. But the last generation, be very careful. Because the last generation, you know what, will have to go through this. In Mark 13 and verse 13, this is what it says. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. And then when it comes to Luke 21 and verse 19, he says, by your patience. These three words are interchangeably used in the Bible. Endurance, patience, and perseverance. He says, you know what? When these things happen, endure it. Don't quit. Be patient. Be patient. This is the testing. This is the testing. So we have to be very, very careful. Like I said, very soon you will go out and you will forget everything. But I pray you don't forget everything. You remember at least the important things. If not anything, I need to endure. And one thing we have taught you in 15 years, how to endure a two-hour sermon. So you cannot say you do not have endurance. Now the thing is that you have to apply it into the kingdom of God, into real life. So if you come to Luke chapter 8, verses 9 to 11, because Jesus talked in parables. This is the parable of all parables, the mother of all parables. Then his disciples asked him, what does this parable mean? So the difference is that you are a crowd, you are a disciple. To the disciple he will say this, to you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. But to the rest, it is given in parables. And seeing, they may not see. And hearing, they may not understand. Okay? So please, be very careful. Don't think that we see. Because the Bible says, seeing, they may not see. Hearing, they may not hear. Be, Be a disciple, okay? Then, Jesus himself will unlock the mysteries, which means the 
hidden things of the Bible, the hidden things of the Bible. Okay, and this is of all them. And then he's talking, this is a parable of the sower. You know the parable of the sower, right? Parable of the sower. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. What am I doing now? I am sowing. I am sowing. I hope some seed has landed. Where has it landed? We will see. The seed is the word of God. Seed is the word of God. And we, we, we skipped verse 11, no? Yeah, yeah. Now the seed is the word of God. And now the four different grounds. Okay, verse 12. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear. Then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. So we can ignore that group. But if you notice about everybody, everybody hears. Everybody hears. We are all hearing now. That is common. You hear. But the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts. Where where, where where they where it fell on the wayside. Meaning on the road. It fell on the road. Where is the road? It's your heart. Full traffic. Traffic is going on. Six lane highway. Going on, going on, going on. Word is being traveled on. The tires are crunching the seed. Shopping, 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 shopping. Online shopping. While sitting in church. The devil comes and takes it away. If only you could believe. If only you could believe. So God says, ignore them. There's no point wasting time over them because they don't believe. So we come to verse 13, the second group. But the ones on the rock are those when they hear, they receive the word with joy. But there is a problem. They receive with joy, but they have no root. They have no root. They believe for a while. They have no root. It doesn't go deep. Neither their faith nor their love goes deep. Why, when the time of temptation, they fall away? Time of temptation, they fall away. In Matthew 13 and verse 21, this is how it is written. Yet he has no root in himself, endures only for a while, but when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. So what does, what does that word in Luke, temptation, mean here? He is not able to, what? Endure. His faith is not able to endure. His love is not able to endure. Because what happens? Tribulation or persecution arises because of the word. Immediately he or she stumbles. Why? Because they are offended. Offended. Okay, so that's why I said Jesus never lies. It always tells the truth. And we try to tell you. It's not like what you think. The faith life is difficult. He who endures till the end shall be saved. It's not what you think. Name it, claim it, blame it. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. If you have been fed a very soft kind of a gospel, now what will happen when this happens? This happens. In James chapter 1 and verse 12, the question is, Blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, you have to be approved. You have to go through it. But the problem with the second group is that their depth was very shallow. Very shallow. A lot of people there. 
that knowledge, I wouldn't say knowledge of the word, that knowledge of God is very shallow. Very shallow. No, it's like babies. Babies know their father. But their knowledge is only two things. Either daddy is good if he gives me chocolate or he's bad because he scolds me. It doesn't know beyond that. Very simple. <laughs> Very simple. Not complicated at all. Daddy is good or daddy is bad? Nothing beyond that. Okay. Why is daddy good? Because he brought me chocolate. Why is he bad? Because he told me to do something. No depth at all. And when this thing comes, they will stumble, they will fall away. Be careful. Don't be a child. Okay? Don't be a child. Will you endure? Your relationships endure? Because everything is going berserk. Second group is verse 14. Now the ones that fell among the thorns are those who when they have heard go out and are choked with cares, riches and pleasures of life and bring no fruit to maturity. You know what happens? This this thing is the thorns. What does thorns actually here mean? They are so occupied with the temporal. See, the difference between the judgment of God in the days of Noah in the book of Genesis, that is 6, 7, 8, and the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah, that is in Genesis uh, 19, and Jesus, when he talks about it, he doesn't mention anything that was happening there. He says the last days will be like the days of Noah and the days of Lot. And he mentions eight characteristics. Buy and sell. Eat and drink. Married and giving in marriage. Build. Okay, He means it. Meaning, they will be so caught in the temporal that when the eternal comes, they will be totally unprepared. That's what he's talking about. And that is my fear. Because whenever I get prayer requests, my prayer requests usually begin by around... Uh, uh, 5.30 in the morning. It begins. When I wake up, people know when I wake up. Okay, sadly, they know when I wake up. I mean, they know the first one hour, they don't disturb me. So after that, they decide, enough of your rest. Okay, <laughs> never let us disturb you. But when I look at the prayer requests, I'm not saying you shouldn't ask for those things, but I'm saying it is almost always temporal. So much caught in the temporal. My simple question to you is that we live in the temporal world, we have needs. The question to you is this. All your prayer requests which you have in your mind, everything other than the very godly ones which are written once a week like salvation of loved ones. Okay, Very godly, but how true it is, I don't know. Okay, Because after so many years being in the ministry, we get to know what is true and false. <laughs> Okay. On top of that, when you were a classroom teacher and you uh, corrected 350, 400 uh, answer papers every three months, you know which one knows and which one has copied. Okay. So I'm telling you, if you look at your prayer request, how much it is temporal? How much is it eternal? How much does the kingdom of God come into your temporal? That's a question. See, they, the ones, they heard, but the problem is they heard, and we all heard, we are hearing, 
and we all will go out. We'll all go out. Either we'll be choked with the cares. Cares? Because some of you have lots of cares and they're real cares. Debt is a care. Okay, future of children is a care. All these things are cares. Either you'll be choked with the cares or you'll be choked by pleasures. Some of you have don't have a care in the world. So you are careless. When you should be careful because you have no cares, you actually become careless. So you get choked because you're caught up in the temporal. And that's what God is talking about. Therefore, there is a warning to this group in Luke 21, the other parallel chapter. Remember about the last days, 21, 34. But take heed to yourself, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness and cares of this life, that the day come upon you unexpectedly. That's what happened to the generation of, you know, it came this man is preaching, 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 preaching. Nobody's listening. But they're all coming to watch what he's doing. They help him building the ark, everything they do. And one day they realize, Are, he's gone in. And the door is shut. Hey, Noah. Noah says, I'm sorry. I cannot open the door. It's been closed from outside. I can't open it. The next thing, things is the first time in their life they see something. One drop from heaven. This man had said floods is coming, water is coming. And a little later, Peter Perer, the raindrops, it becomes a torrent and the water is rising. Some of them said we have built a few high rise. My apartment is anyway on the 23rd floor. But the problem is this water is not going to stop. It is rising, it is rising. You are rising. Even if you on that fortunate day had conquered Mount Everest, it covered that also. There was no escape. Did you see? They were caught unexpectedly. And so was Lot's generation and his household caught unexpectedly. And that's what God is talking about. Do we have that faith that will endure? Oh, are we so much caught about this? If you're actually worrying about your sin and about your lack of convenient conviction, you're standing on holy ground. Amen. I'm telling you, there are people who write to me, my heart is hardened, I have no conviction. You are standing on extremely safe ground. Because you're aware of the eternal. Aware of the eternal. You're not thinking about the temporal. You're thinking about the eternal. Because, Lord, this is what, and you're actually standing on very safe ground. Very safe ground. And that's what God is talking about. Where are we standing? And then comes... The fourth group, group four. In my college days, group four means economics, commerce. Okay. But the ones that fell on the good ground are those having heard the word of God. How did they hear? First they heard with a noble and a good heart. What is that? The heart was very meek. Because if you have to receive the word of God, you have to have a meek heart. You have to humble yourself before God and his word and never look at the vessel. Because some vessel may be some poor pastor who comes from a village in tatters. But when he speaks the word of God, if you are not humble, you will not receive the message from his mouth. So you need meekness. That is why when Peter and Andrew and went and said about Jesus, he said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Preacher from Nazareth. 
if I were to tell in the morning today, I have a change. Today you're going to have a speaker and he'll be speaking in Telugu. He's from Surya Pet. He will say, Surya Pet, we, Hyderabad people, listen to pastor from Surya Pet. And he comes here and speaks in broken English. Because he realizes, ah, they don't understand Telugu. But he's speaking in broken English. But the message is actually from God. Would you be humble in yourself and listen very carefully to get the gist of the message? Gist of the message. A lot of people don't listen. They don't listen to what the worship leader says without realizing God can speak through those words. They're not looking at the words of the lyrics. They're enjoying the tune. They're not listening because their heart is the issue. I told you, love is from the heart. Faith is from the heart. Loyalty is from the heart. All these things come from the heart and then you receive in your mind with better understanding, you increase it. But everything is from the heart. With the heart a man believes. Love God with all your heart first. These are all hard things. So the noble and good heart is basically, you can take these people, you can put them anywhere, under anybody, they will listen. They will listen. They will listen because they have surrendered to God and they know the value of His word. So when the word of God comes, which is a seed, they receive it, they heard with a noble and a good heart. And what do they do? They keep it. Keep it. They won't forget it. They keep it. And then what? But that's not the key. They bear fruit. How? With patience. That is the key. They endure. What is the fourth group's characteristic? They endure. They endure. They persevere with what they have heard. Yes, I heard today. And the Spirit of God was speaking to me. He was telling me this. I need to go back home and work on this. They don't quit. They don't quit. They are very serious about this. They persevere. They are patient. They endure through it all. So this is the key. And he's using a farming thing. And James would come across in James chapter 5 and put it across. Therefore, be patient, brethren. Till when? Until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and the latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts. Establish your hearts. For the coming of the Lord is at hand. And then in the other verses 10 and 11, my brethren take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed we count the blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord. The Lord is very compassionate and this is the thing. The thing is that the end intended by the Lord for everyone sitting here is Perfect. Absolutely perfect. You and I in our wildest dreams cannot think about an ending like that. Not in your wildest. It is impossible. It is impossible even to understand what end God has for us. But to receive it, you have to endure till the end. Lot of things in life, like I said, no, because my hair and Brother Banu's is white. Brother Banu's hair. We are only two white-haired people. The others are fake. Ours is real. <laughs> Our two is real. The rest are fake. Okay. Okay. 
All those who are dying monthly are looking at me. God said die daily, you die monthly. Okay. Okay. Of those of us who have come through and we look back into our lives. It's only in retrospective effect we try and understand most of the things we thought was the worst things that happened in our life was actually the best things that happened in our life. You will not know it until you hang in there and hang in there and hang in there and say, you know what, I am not going to quit this. I don't understand, like Job is saying, I don't understand anything. But even if you slay me, I will still serve you. I don't know anybody else to serve. I don't understand what is happening in my life. But you know what? I'm going to endure. I'm going to come through this. Come through this. Then only in retrospective effect you will understand. You know, God gives you a dream. God gives you a vision. It's a vision about uh, 12 sheaves and 11 are down. One is standing up. What do you understand? And then you see the sun and the moon and the stars, everything. What do you understand? It doesn't matter. I mean, you understand. What do you understand? You don't understand. If you are a 17 year old boy, you don't understand what it really means. You got so flattered, you got two good dreams, you went and told everybody and everybody got mad at you. But after that, everything, all hell broke loose in his life. But what he is doing is that for the next 13 years, he endures. He doesn't quit. Everything the devil is trying, is to trying to make him quit. He refused to quit. Then in one day, we have heard it so much, it becomes redundant, but the word of God is never redundant. One day he goes to sleep a slave, the next day he goes to sleep as prince of Egypt. In one day, everything changes. And then he looks back, he understands the end intended by God was so good. I never knew it. Okay. Only in eternity, if we endure, we will reach the end intended by God. And that is where this is so important, that we don't quit, we don't give up, we don't give up. Okay? So the question is, what do I need? I need endurance. I need enduring faith. And I need enduring love. And the question is, how do I get this endurance? How do I get this endurance? We want this, right? How do I get this endurance? How do I, this, remember, this is first and foremost only for those who already believe. If you don't believe, you can believe today. Receive, repent, believe on Jesus. It is the simplest thing and the most difficult thing. Easiest thing if you are humble, most difficult thing if you are proud. That's why the cross is a level ground. Everybody has to come through that. Come through that. Okay, Salvation is very easy and yet very difficult. If it was so easy, everybody should have made it. No, most people won't make it. Okay? But this is for believers. Once you are saved, when I'm, if I'm a part of the last day's generation upon whom the end of ages is coming, what do I need to surrender? What do I need to, sorry, endure? That my love and my faith, these two are the most important things. My love and my faith should endure till the end. What should I do? How do I get this? First and foremost, if you haven't done it yet, and you have done it many times, it still doesn't matter. Keep doing it, but you have to do it. Make a very firm 
commitment to the Lord. Commitment to the Lord. You know what it means? You go on your knees and tell the Lord, Thy will be done in my life. Here I am. Until that happens, the rest cannot happen. God cannot work on unsurrendered lives. Last week, the previous week, all I preached about um, Deuteronomy 30, where, if I'm right, in verse 19, he says, I said before you life and death, blessing and curses, you choose. You choose. Can you imagine? God says you choose. He won't choose for us. He will show us. Choose life. And he says, I am your life. But I have to choose. So if God won't choose for us, the devil doesn't choose for us. We make the choices. The entire purpose of temptation, trials and testing is God is, for by God is to see that he doesn't tempt us, but he allows trials, testings, is to see that we make the right choice and stay in that choice. And the devil will try to make us, make uh, us, tempt us to make the wrong choice. But can you believe we choose? We choose. So surrender is a choice. After 11 chapters of all theology, 12 chapters, how does Paul, the Holy Spirit, speak through Paul? I beseech you. What is the word beseech? Old English word beseech in New English? Beg you. I beg you. Who is begging? Spirit of God. Through his servant. I beg you, brethren, in the light of God's mercies. What is that? You make a choice. Would you please offer your bodies? Would you surrender? Go down on your knees and say today, Lord, I surrender. I surrender. I'm tired. I surrender. Here I am. Here I am. We talk about the greats in the Bible. Most of those greats in the Bible surrendered young. And there are a lot of young people sitting over here. One, two, three, four, all unmarried. So many young people are sitting over here. No? That's why Solomon in his old age, he realizes, you know what? I made a goof up. He tells young people, why don't you surrender when you are young? So that your lives don't get meaningless when you grow old. Okay? I thank God I surrendered to God as a teenager. My undergraduation first year. Next year I will hit 60. And I'm just starting. I'm not finishing. I'm starting. Lord, I thank God that my mind, life is not meaningless. Surrender early. Surrender early. Because God cannot do anything unless we surrender. Because He gave us the freedom to choose. And he will tell us choose, but I have to choose. And the first thing I have to choose is to surrender. You hear about Joseph. You see the end of Joseph. Wow, you look at the end of Joseph, right? But how does it begin? It begins with one statement when his father calls him, Here I am. That will define his life. Potiphar will call him. He will say, Yes, Lord, here I am. Prison warden will call him. He will say, here I am. Pharaoh will call and he will say, here I am. To define his life. 
So you have to ask this question. Have you really any time in your life from your heart? I remember specific instances in my life. I remember many, many years ago, young when I was much younger and every hair on my head was black. This is going to be Hyderabad's water. Okay. I still remember the day I went on my knees and I said, Lord, I don't understand your word, but I surrender. Don't understand your word. Because we are trying to understand so that we can surrender. He says, surrender, you will understand. He said, Lord, I don't understand. But you know what? I just surrender. I just surrender. So Joseph says, here I am. David says, is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? Daniel says, Daniel purposed in his heart. These are all young teenagers. These are not old men. These are all young teenagers. Daniel purposed in his heart. There's a commitment, a decision towards God. And Jesus appears to a young man called Saul of Tarsus who will become the greatest apostle ever. First question, who are you? Second question, what do you want me to do? That's the first thing. See, if you haven't surrendered, when you fail and fall and stumble, there is nobody to lift you up. But every man of God in the Bible and in history who has surrendered will fail, will stumble. A righteous man will stumble seven times. But you know, there is a hand to lift you up because you surrendered. Surrendered. First, he will cause you not to stumble. That's also there in Psalm 34. 37 or 34 it is there. Okay. But if you stumble and if you fall, even if you fall perfect seven times, he will still lift you up. Why? Because by choosing, you gave him the permission to lift you up. Because you surrendered. It's a surrendered life that fell. But unsurrendered lives when they fall, who is there to lift you? Who is there to lift you? There's nobody to lift you. So every time Abraham fell, fell terribly in ways which no man should fall, lifted him up. Lot fell. There's nobody to lift him. Lot had never surrendered his life to God. Never. Remember these things. These are important things. Children in the last days, be very, very resolute in your commitment in your heart every day. When the church in Antioch suddenly grew, no many new believers came in. Barnabas was sent by God, by the apostles in Jerusalem to, to encourage. And in Acts chapter 11, 22-23, this is Barnabas from Jerusalem goes there. Then the news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. They sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. When he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad. And he encouraged them all that with purpose of heart, they should continue with the Lord. This is one thing he said, you know what? With all your heart, I'm so happy. Antioch has come to the Lord. So many, the grace of God, people are saved. Now set it in your heart. Whatever happens, you will continue with the Lord till the end. 
when you understand, when you don't understand good times, bad times, terrible times, purpose in your heart, you will continue with him. So this is what is needed. God looks for a commitment. All these calamities will happen. Persecutions, hatred, lawlessness, famine, pestilence. All these things are going to happen. Is happening. But the question is this. Are you committed? Have you committed? Are you committed? Because what we have is uncommitted Christians. Uncommitted Christians. Even if the church is just five minutes away, ten minutes away, fifteen minutes away. What stops you from coming a little early and sitting here and praying? What stops you? After all, it's a Sunday. We try to, honestly, we try to make it as easy as possible for people to serve God. Right? On a Sunday, it's a Lord's Day, we call it the Lord's Day. Let it be the Lord's Day, not your day and my day. Let it be the Lord's Day. It is so easy. Okay? If it is the first day of the week, then the first day should define the rest of the week, right? Why don't you make a commitment? Lord, I am here. I'm here. Why don't you just do it between you and God? Little things matter. Second thing. Hebrews 11 verse 1. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. That is the issue. Because you have so much of faith preaching going on 24-7, which has got nothing to do about the faith which the Bible is talking about. Because when the Bible is talking about a faith, it is connected to things not seen. You know what Bible means by not seen? It means eternal. It is not temporal. There is temporal there, but it is primarily talking about eternal. It's not if your hope is in this life, you can use faith for this. That's the naming and claiming it. That is okay. But that's also not okay. In First Corinthians 15, 19, this is what the Bible says. Remember hope. Okay, faith is the evidence of things hoped for. Now, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiful. So a lot of people, they believe in Christ for salvation. But after that, everything is earthbound. Therefore, what happens is they are the most miserable of people. Or the most to be pitied. One of the two. Because things don't happen, they lose their joy. Because everything is under heaven. So it is not eternal. Their eyes are not on the eternal, fixed on the eternal. The eyes are fixed on the temporal. If your eyes are fixed on the eternal, it is not that the temporal does not matter. The thing is that if it is a yea or a nay, you are not so much bothered. It may be a regret maybe for a little time and after that it will pass because anyway your eyes were not on the temporal. So the second thing we need to ask ourselves is this. If you want to endure, the question is, where is your peace? Where is your hope? Where is your faith? On the temporal or on the eternal? 
Colossians chapter 3 verse 1 and 2 will say, if then you were raised, okay, Ephesians 2, 6 will say, you were raised. That is a reality with God. Okay? God has raised us with Christ and seated us in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That is Ephesians 2, 6, that is true according to God's word and true for him. But the question is, is it true for me? So the if is there. That is why the if is there. If, if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is. Sitting at the right hand of God. Now the question is, what am I seeking? Am I seeking those things which are above? Basically seeking things which are above, meaning, what does Christ want? What do you want? Lord, what do you want? Am I seeking? Second, set your mind. ESP or another translation will use, I like it. Set your affections on things above and not on the things, on things on earth. Set your affection on things. But this is, these are commandments of God by which you can live a life that endures, that overcomes. Set your mind, your affections on things. So, how do you ask this question? What does it mean? See, we live in a market economy. From the time man fell, it is a market economy. Okay? And market is defined by gain and loss. Gain and loss. That's how you have to. So you have to bring that into eternity. Simple ask this question. If I do this, what do I gain in eternity? If I do this, if I make this decision, what do I lose in eternity? Don't bring temporal first. Don't bring temporal first. Okay? Because in, in, in life, everything is based on gain and loss. That's how we make our decision. Gain and loss. But why don't we bring the same principle into the kingdom of God? If I take this decision, what will I gain in eternity? If I make the decision, another decision, what will I lose in eternity? Everything, everything. From, that's what I said. That is where careers are important. It's a choice which God has to make for you. Choice. Make for you. Okay. God has to make a choice for you. If I had chosen a career, chosen a career, you see, when all these things were happening in my life in the early 1990s, okay, it didn't excite me so much because the thing is that, okay, you, you, you did your PG, you have worked for two years, you got and topped the entrance in IFLU, you got a scholarship, and then in the first shot you cleared net, which means you're qualified to teach in a university. But at the back of your heart there is a tuggy. I called you in 1988. I called you in 1988. So when these things are coming, you are really not able to enjoy it because years back you had gone on your knees and said, here I am. And every paperwork that is coming into your hands is telling, here I am not. Okay, here I am not. Okay, so the thing is that these things will come. These things will come, but the question is, 
You are looking at, you will try to rationalize. I am not saying I didn't go through this struggle. I went through this rationalize. Of course I will serve you. You know, it is so nice. I will teach in this English department in this university and I will try to witness to my students and I will have a Bible study in my quarters. You know you are just fooling yourself. That is not what he said. So ultimately he folded it up all and put it away and said, here I am. I didn't burn my certificates because you need it for the passport. Otherwise, I would have. So the question is, when you make your decisions, do you look at eternity? Career, marriage. Think. Second Corinthians chapter 3, 17 and 18. Now the Lord is the Spirit. Whether you like it or not, the Lord is the Spirit. But where the Spirit of the Lord is. Now, if the Spirit is Lord in your situation, what you experience immediately, there is liberty. There is liberty. Where the Spirit is Lord, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled faces, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Where the mirror, of course, is the Word of God. Okay. We are being transformed. We look at it and say, wow, I am being transformed. I am being transformed from glory to glory by the Spirit of the Lord. But the question is, how does he do it? It is the explanation of this which is given in 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18. How does this happen? Theory? Practical. What is practical? Therefore, we do not lose heart. Why? Even though our outward man is, the inward man is being renewed and our affliction, light affliction, not light. Temporal, it is not light. Terrible affliction, actually. Which is but for a moment. It is not a moment. For him it was most of his life. But he's saying it. His everything perspective is eternal. If perspective is temporal, hard affliction, which went on year without end. No. Perspective. Why is he able to say that? Because he's not looking at the temporal, he's looking at the eternal. And then is working for us a far more excellent eternal weight of glory. So what was the Holy Spirit doing will actually happen only when this is happening. But how does it happen? Verse 18. This is your perspective. While we do not look at the things which are seen. The question is how do I look at things which are (laughs) how do I not look at the things which are seen? Because I, I have to look at things which are seen. But I do not look at things which are seen. But Things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Do you understand what is he talking about? Like talking as a pastor, okay, as a pastor, as a shepherd. I don't look at the things which are seen. What are the things seen? You get angry with me, you get upset with me, you do it. I don't look at those things. Because if I look at the things, I also will be angry with you. I have to look at things which are not seen. I need to carry you across to the other side. So I have to guard my heart that I will never ever get offended by my sheep. Whatever they say, whatever they do. Because those things are seen. So whatever my sheep has ever said in all these years of ministry doesn't bother me at all. 
doesn't bother me at all. Why? Because I will not look at the things which are seen. I have to look at the things which are not seen. What are the things are seen? These sheep have to be carried across. And if I get offended, I get mad at them, I get angry at them, and I am offended, I am bitter, I am hate, this thing unforgiving, then their life is in trouble. And I cannot do that. So this is how you look at daily relationships. Okay? Wives who are married to unbelieving husbands, men who are married to unbelieving wives, parents who have unbelieving children. You have a whole gamut of relationships over there. You who work under unbelieving bosses or boss who has got unbelieving employees. You are all looking at the eternal. If I deal with this, you need to understand why, how is Joseph after his governor, he's number two. How is he dealing with Potiphar? How is he dealing with Mrs. Potiphar? How is he dealing with his brothers? What is his perspective? I need to get these people saved. Therefore, I'm not going to remember what they did to me. What they did to me is what is seen. But I look at what is not seen. Not seen. So in relationship, in decisions, everything, you have to be very conscious about this fact. There is a temporal and there is an eternal. There is a temporal and there is an eternal. My question to you is, why do we forgive? He did this to me, I can never forgive. But why should we forgive? So that, not only that we will be forgiven, that that person's heart is opened up for the word of God to reach him. Otherwise we bind him by our unforgiveness. Because whatever we do, we are binding or loosing. I can never forgive him. You bound. What you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. No. We are looking at everything. We are looking at eternal. We are looking at eternal. We are not looking at the temporal. We are not looking at temporal. We have to be careful. Because if you live in the temporal, what you miss out, you miss out on the eternal. So God says, if your heart... So Jesus is looking there... He's the only person who is absolutely true, absolutely not guilty, everything, and everybody's cursing him, nailed him on the cross, and he's not looking at the temporal, he's looking at the eternal and says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they are doing. Did you see this? Are you seeing the eternal? The inward man. So don't ever look at the outward man. Most ladies are bothered by the outward man. Their own outward man, when they look in the mirror, or the man they want to marry, they are so bothered about the outward man. But who is bothered about the inward man? Go to Galatians chapter 5 and read verse 22 to 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Leave all this aside, because if this is not there, the rest won't follow. So the question is, you have to look at your inward man and realize Jesus said, in the last days, lawlessness will abound and agape will grow cold. You have to ask yourself, look at your inward man and honestly do a check. Ten months are over. Look back and say, am I a more loving person today? That is what you have to check. I was explaining how faith and love come from the same heart but don't work the same thing. Okay? Faith, enduring faith produces patience. Okay? 
Love doesn't work the same way. Love suffers long and is still kind. Still kind. So the question is, are you more kind today? This is the inward man. This is what is important. We are not talking about your salvation. We are talking about the last days. We are talking about the eternal. How we are going to be judged. And the fruit is there inside. It's the inward man. The hidden person of the inner man. And that is the question. Are you more meek today? How you answer people? Or are still a fighter? But you, each one knows. You don't have to ask somebody. You know where you are. Instead of worrying about the temporal thing, there's a pimple on my nose and my hair is more white today. Why are you so bothered? It will come and go. It doesn't matter. The outer man. We have to look at this. And this is the most important thing because the Bible says of three things are great in the Bible. That is faith, hope and charity. And love is the greatest. So if I can get the greatest right, then everything else will fall into place. And that's why we were studying and we saw, we only look at one verse in that, First Corinthians 13. For love suffers long. That means, is my love enduring? Your love cannot suffer long unless you have people around you, with you, who makes you suffer. <laughs> and that is God's plan. You don't want cherubims around you. You want people who is a test for your love. And the question is, it is not where they make you suffer long. The question is, is your response still kind? Why? Because you are looking at the eternal. Think about, think about, think about, I don't think about outside this room. Think in this room. Okay? We are all GDC, Hyderabad, one family with so many misunderstandings probably. Let me ask you this question. In a twinkling of an eye, when rapture takes place, let us hope and believe, all of us are taken. Will any of those misunderstandings really matter? We'll be so, you know what we'll be ashamed of? We'll be ashamed of our misunderstandings. We will be very happy about our understanding. <laughs> In a split second when we are taken, we will say, this is what I thought about him. And he will think, is it what I thought about you? Nobody is thinking eternity. Do these things really matter in eternity? That is why Jesus said, be careful about this devil. Know his wiles. Know his tricks. Be careful about offense. Be careful about unforgiveness. Be careful about the things which are important in the kingdom of God. These are eternal things. Be careful. Be careful. Guard your heart. Guard your heart. Guard your heart. In 1 Corinthians 13, we saw, right? If you go to verse 7, when it talks about love, it bears all things. What is that? It can handle the weight of it. Believes all things. Hopes all things. Endures all things. And the key is this. All. All. 
all all lord let a day come on my life that i can bear all things all things and your all things all things because we need to understand he who endures till the end there is something that endures all things that's why the bible says love never fails faith will fail faith will fail because faith is always connected with hope and your hope could be wrong i had hoped for my birthday my husband would give me this but he gave me something else it can fail Okay. But the mistake wives make or husbands make is that you don't love me. No. Your hope failed. His love is still enduring. He still got you something. Still got you something. Or in his characteristic way, because he hasn't changed, he forgot. <laughs> okay. Okay. See, faith will fail because, because faith is got to do with hope and your hope can be misplaced. It's a hope. Even with God, no? Some people expected for a resurrection. They did not get a resurrection. Instead, they now will get a better resurrection. So in life, because we are caught in this trap called temporal and eternal, temporal and eternal, your faith can fail. Faith can fail. But something will never fail. On one side, because of the increase of lawlessness, when agape is failing, you have to ask. That is why I am very careful in my response to what is happening in the Middle East. Because I love Israel. Because Israel is God's people. But I feel sorry for the Palestinian people. Sorry, not because of what they are going through, but because of what the devil has done to them. They are such brainwashed people. Blinded people. What is the answer? The only answer is the gospel. Blinded. Islam blinds people. Blinds people. Children are fostered right from the beginning to hate and to kill. That's why all the religions in the world, I don't like that one. I'm sorry, I don't like that one. Because of the nature of that religion and the teachings. I like Hinduism. I don't have issues with the core of Hinduism. I don't have the actual core of Hinduism. I don't have much because I find that people, people are very tolerant. They listen to the gospel. So you need to understand. If you look at them and you feel, you feel, what a mess. What a mess. What a mess. So we have to be very careful that we don't hate. We don't hate. Okay, so the question is, when agape cools down, it's not enduring. Offense will rise. Many will betray one another. We have to be very, very. So the question is, where is my eye? Is my eye on the eternal? Is my eye on the eternal? The greatest person in the old covenant in terms of not position, but other parameters, the greatest in the Old Testament is Moses. Okay? John the Baptist for proclaiming Jesus, appointing out Jesus, others show the shadow, he saw the substance. That way, yes. But in terms of God serving God as a servant of God, the greatest was Moses. The book of Hebrews talks about him. Okay, this is the man who endured. 
man endure. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 27 says, By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured seeing him who is invisible. This is the key. First key is this. If you want to endure in this temporal world, on one side it will become more and more and more jassy, glittering on the height of opulence and innovation. And the kind the world is going is unbelievable. The way you know, it is literally like God will have to ultimately step down before they reach the point where we will reach immortality. Okay? Because before they could eat from the tree of life, he kicked them out. And the entire innovation is basically moving towards that. That man wants to be God. The innovation is unbelievable. Any field you take, any field you take, it's unbelievable. Unbelievable. The question is that. That is Egypt. This world system. He forsook. So when you forsake Egypt, this world, the world system will be angry. The question is, the only way you can really do it and endure is seeing him. Seeing him. So ultimately, faith sees Jesus. Sees him. Do you see him? And that's what God is trying to put us through. No? That is the purpose of faith. Faith, the object of your faith is a person. That is what, what was I trying to tell them in that meeting, memorial service meeting, basically to tell them, unlike any other religion, ours is not a religion, is entirely tied up to a person. His birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, entirely tied up to a person. And there is no person like that, so our salvation cannot be tied with any other person. Our salvation is tied up to a person. His birth has to be a virgin birth, meaning no man. It has to be of God. So he's born without sin and shaped, not shaped in iniquity. So his birth is so important. You take that prophecy, a virgin shall give birth and put woman over there. You are in trouble. He cannot save us. So his birth is important. His life is important. He was tempted at all points and he did not sin. It is important. And then on the cross he became sin for us and he had to die on the cross because thousands of years before the cross was ever discovered, it was written, cursed is the man who hangs on the tree. So the curse comes upon him. And then he dies. And then he is buried. But if he doesn't rise up, death is still more powerful because our hope is resurrection. No man had any hope of resurrection until Jesus rose from the dead never to die again. So our entire salvation is fixed on one person. This is what I told them. If you believe in God, you will not be saved. If you believe in the Holy Spirit, you will not be saved unless you believe in the Son. Because salvation comes from the Son. If you ask the Father, He will point you to the Son. You ask the Spirit, the Spirit will point you to the Son and believe in Him. Believe in Him. You cannot say, I believe in God. You cannot be saved. I believe in the Holy Spirit. You cannot be saved for salvation. There is only one person and one name and one work. It is Jesus Christ. So it is him you have to see. We see him who is invisible. 
Sihimism. That is what the entire book of Hebrews is talking about. Gives you an entire Hebrews chapter 11, a list of people. Can you see any one of them? No, they are all dead and gone. But they surround us like a cloud of witnesses. Unseen realm. They all speak. The Bible says, first person it talks about Abel is that even though he is dead, he speaks. Where is he speaking from? He's speaking from another realm. That is what is he, what does Abel speak without blood? You cannot come into the presence of God. He speaks from another realm. Man can walk with God. Enoch speaks. Man can do a work for the saving of his household. Noah speaks. Man can live in the land God has promised him. Believing his promises, Abraham lives. Man can put himself on the altar and give himself over to the knife. When God releases that man, that man can never die again. Isaac speaks. These people are all speaking from the unseen realm. All of Hebrews 11 is talking about that. And then it comes to Hebrews 12. It says, we are surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. Run your race with endurance. And then it will tell us, look unto Jesus. Abel is not the author of my faith. He teaches me one part of it. Jesus is the author. And Jesus is the finisher. Look unto him. And everywhere in the first three verses, three times the word is yours. Endure, endure, endure. So I have to see him who is invisible. Invisible. So the, the, the churning of my faith, the sifting of my faith, the testing of my mind, the trial of my faith is so that my eyes are becoming clearer and clearer. I am able to see Jesus. I'm able to Jesus through the pages of the Bible and through the sermons I listen to, I'm able to see Jesus. That's what the Bible is talking about. So first Peter verse one will uh, seven will say uh, the genuineness of your faith has to be t- is your faith tested? Go if if you have only five hundred rupees in you, that's the largest denomination now. Two thousand is gone. Five hundred. You got only five hundred rupees note with you. You go to the bank or the supermarket and you buy everything, and when you keep the note, they return the note and say it is fake. Oh, I am sorry. They will say, sorry, sir. Put all your shopping basket or everything back over there and go get another note and come. This won't work. We know what it is when something which we have is fake. You get a job. And then they will say, surrender all your, submit all your certificates. And the company checks on it and they say, we checked. Your certificate is fake. We know in life if these things are fake, what are the consequences that follow? Let us begin from birth. Your birth certificate is fake. Every other document becomes fake. You know that? Everything is connected to that. Your marriage certificate is fake. Are you married or are you not married? Your degree certificate is fake. And the money you carry is all fake. Can you imagine what happens to you? Forget the temporal. You get into eternity. And there is a fellow at the wedding feast. He doesn't have the wedding clothes. And he says, friend, how did you get in here? You are a fake. How did you get in here? The Bible says he was speechless. And God did not tell him, take him outside, give him an ice wash, put a new coat and send him. He just bind him hand and feet and throw him into outer darkness. Because that time 
to check your faith is over. Now is the people with genuine faith. So in life we go through all the situations we go through so that our faith is proved to us, not to God. To us, we know my faith is genuine. Precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That is why it has to be tested. Otherwise, we will not know. Like I said, the rich man, the foolish rich man, you know, remember, he died and he reached hell. If he had spent one day before he died asking God, is my faith real? He would have got an answer. He checked on everything else. He checked his bank balance. He checked his stock market. He checked everything. Only thing he forgot to check was eternal. So God says, don't take a chance. So I will put, if you are really my child, I will put you through trials and testings and tribulation. What is it? The testing of your faith. Testing. And so don't fight it. I will tell you how to react to it. So James will say, um, brethren, when you go through trials and testings of various kinds, what should you do? You should rejoice because the testing of your faith, if your faith is real, it is genuine, it is of God. When it is being tested, what will it produce? Patience. The faith that is not of God does not produce when it is tested. It produces anger. It produces short-temperedness. It produces bitterness. It produces hatred. But the faith that is of God, when it tested, it will ultimately produce patience. You become a more patient man. Because patience is a quality of God. And God is conforming to us to his image and not to the world's image. So this is what is being tested. That is why we don't... We don't react to situations like the world does. We react according to the word. Go to the next word. It's beautiful. How beautiful it is. Whom having not seen you love. So you love the unseen one. You love the unseen one. Did you see Jesus? No. But do you love him? Yes. But we are, this is why we tell people, stay away from the world as far as possible. Go work, be a witness and come back. Don't get involved in the world. Get off these movies and all those things. Because the more you are engrossed in the scene, the less you will be able to appreciate the unseen. That's the problem. See, Jesus is a person. And the Bible doesn't describe how he looks, but he tells us who he is. And the problem is, we are so obsessed with looks, we don't try to become somebody who can be loving. Okay. When we used to be in the literature classes and all, all those days, you will, our profs used to say, never buy a book by looking at the cover. Never buy a book. And a lot of people who got married, got married looking at the cover. Then they started reading the pages, they got upset. But the thank God you are all believers, the pages can be rewritten. You can change. Because there is the power of God for you to become something in the image of Christ. That is the key. That is the key. You can become somebody who can be loving, kind, patient, Long-suffering. You can become all this. Because that's what faith and grace does. So the Bible says, Whom having not seen, you love. 
So the love is connected to the unseen, enduring love. Though now you do not see him yet, what is belief? It is faith. So you see faith and love have been brought together and connected to the unseen. And that faith that works through love is unbeatable. Unbeatable. See, all the writers of the Bible, whether it is Paul or James or Peter or John, you will see the Holy Spirit will come back and tune us to the same thing. There is a person who is invisible. And you can love him. As you go through, he says, stay away from the world. The world is a setup. It's all outward, flashy, nothing inside, all hollow. You go there, you will be miserable. You look at how many stars are committing suicide or dying like this. What did stardom do for them? What it Because okay. nothing inside. This world is all hollow. It's all empty. Unless it's absolutely necessary, don't go to the mall. Before the mall comes the fall. Unnecessarily going into this place. Honestly tell me, can you feed your eyes with these 120 windows offering things which you don't need? And the money which you don't have to buy? You end up buying and paying with the money which you don't need, you don't have, and then you are miserable. Why do you go to all these places? Why do you get into all this, these things? You know what? That is the Bible says, do not love the world or the things of the world, not because per se it is evil, what it does to you. See, I and you all have only one heart. God didn't give us two hearts, one for me, one for the world. Then we would be so happy. He gave us one heart. One heart. He says, do not love the world or the things in the world because if you love, what will go? Agape will go. Philia will be there. Storge will be there. Eros will be there. But Agape will go. The love of the Father which endures, which overcomes will go. Because people who are in the world have Philia. They love their children. They have too much Eros. They have storge. All that is there. What is not there is agape is gone. Because in that same heart, these two cannot coexist. So that is what God is saying. No, don't love the world or the things in the world. Okay. And if you look at now, today, the world is like pressing us on from every corner. So you have to make that choice. How do you make the choice? The choice is made by love. First, you go on your knees, you surrender. I'm committed to you, Lord. So help me, Lord. Second, I'm looking at the invisible and not at the visible. And one of the things by which you can easily, I'm telling you from my own personal experience, is that one of the easiest way you can get rid of the temporal, a temporal doesn't mean anything to you, is because you have read your word and you have understood is that you take anything here in the temporal. There is no comparison to its parallel in heaven infinitely better what is it in heaven. The problem is, the more you enjoy the fake, the more you lose your capacity to enjoy the genuine. That is the problem. That is the problem. The more you enjoy the fake, the more you lose the capacity to enjoy. The genuine is coming there. That is why we are caught in this body which is at automatically losing its capacity to enjoy because age is catching up. 
But on the other side, a new body is going to be given. But the problem is, if you're coming with a mindset that has messed it up over here, how will you enjoy eternity? So the key is you need a person. It's always connected with a person. It is not connected with things. You have to overcome anything. It has to be always a person. Even in human relationship, it is. If you look at a child who overcomes, you will see the child loves either his father or his mother. That's right. Joseph loved his father. And therefore he obeyed his father's instructions. The father couldn't teach any of the other children, but this guy was an orphan, his mother wasn't there. So you'll always see that. If a child has to obey, either he loves his father or he loves his mother. And the same thing you take into other relationships. You will realize always there's a person involved. There's always a person involved. In school, you will always remember there was one teacher who encouraged you and said, you can do it. And that changed a student's life. There was a person always involved. And now we have the person of all persons involved over there, whom you do not see, because what we are being made, we are made into AI. All artificial. No persons are involved. Distance learning. What distance learning? Come closer, is what God says. Come closer, come closer, come closer. We want to learn from a distance. It doesn't work like that. There is a person whom you love, though you have not seen. Whom you believe, though you have not. You do not. There is a person. And then there is a place. Hebrews 11, 9 and 10. And we shall close soon. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise, as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. Why? Why could he do all this? Why could he live in tents with Isaac, with his grandson? Why could he live like that? Reason? For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Did you see that? This is what defines we come to John chapter 14 and verses 1 to 3, Jesus brings both together. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. So he brings the father and himself, two people. And then, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. So we are going to a place. Going to a place. There are people there. And the most important people, the father and the son are there. Okay, that is how, if you do not have your eyes fixed on eternity, you will miss out. You won't be able to endure. There is a person, there is a person, there is a person. And in home, on earth, it is your home and it's your church. It's your home. That's why I always tell people, once you finish work, go home. Go home. Go home. There's a place called home. And then whenever the spiritual home gathers and you are free and you are around, come home. Go home, come home. It's a place called home. Right? These are two things that represents heaven on earth. Two things that represents heaven on earth. There is a home called home. And there is a church called home. These two are homes. Okay? And in these two places, who are there? People are there. And it is also a place. For the 
place. So unlike all the others who are fighting for the promised land and the unpromised land and to build a temple and all and all this, we are not bothered. Because we, for us the place is not important. Last Sunday we gathered in Jeevan Jyoti. This Sunday we have gathered here, but it's still home. And I feel more homely here because everybody is sitting close to each other. So it does not matter to us, but to the people who are outside of Christ, the place matters. For us, the people matter. And then comes the place. So you have to get these things in mind, correct? Otherwise you will not endure. Otherwise you will not endure. God has his father and Jesus as your eldest brother, the savior. That's a place called heaven. It's a real place. It's a city. It is a city. And that's how. So the whole book of Hebrews basically is written so that we endure. And since you endure for two hours, and you're awake, still awake, I think I am duty bound to release you. (laughs) Fix your eyes, the Bible says, on Christ Jesus. The most important thing. You see, I'm not talking about endurance has separated from the kingdom of God. Because endurance is there in the world also. People will endure and persevere and be patient for anything. The devil is an extremely patient person. (laughs) Extremely patient. And he endures. And he perseveres. He could wait for years and years and years to get Moses. He could wait years and years and years to get Isaac. He could wait 600 plus years to get Noah. He can wait. So we are not talking about this has qualities detached from God because people in the world, any successful person in the world has endurance, patience and perseverance. We are not talking. We are not trying to make a virtue out of something in isolation from God and his kingdom. The question is, is this virtue in my life, your life, connected to God and to his people? That is the question. So please don't make endurance into God. Like the world has made love into God. God is love, but love is not God. Be careful. But Jesus said, the most important virtue you will need, believers will need in the last days. It's a love that endures and a faith that endures. That's why I told Peter, I have prayed. You are going to deny me like no other man. Even to a little servant girl, you will tell I don't know him. You want to deny me. Three times before the rooster crows, you will deny me. But I prayed for you. You know what I prayed? Your faith will not fail you. Faith will not fail you. And our love should not fail us. It's all centered around. So two things at the end of it. One is surrender. If you have never surrendered, truly surrendered, go on your knees and say, Lord, here I am. You don't have to do it in the church. This is one-on-one with God. If it happens in the church, fine. It can happen anywhere. Here I am. On the road, Saul of Tarsus surrendered. It was on a road. On the road to Damascus, the Bible is very clear, on the road to Damascus, that's where the bombings are going, taking place. 
he went on his knees and said, here I am. And the whole world changed. We do not understand. In eternity we will read history differently. God will show us history. 2000 years of church history. He says, do you know what happened? Do you know what this is? It's because one man on the road to Damascus said, what do you want me to do? History was shaped by one man surrendering. Or 10 others, 11 others, I said, you, follow me. They left their net and followed him. Left the tax board and followed him. His history was shaped by these people. All these people. Not the people we are thinking about. All these people are the ones who shaped history eternally. You know why? Because when I called them, they said, here I am. They surrendered. That should be your beginning. You would never. That's why when you look at the cross and you have seen Jesus, you should never be afraid to surrender. Never be afraid to surrender. Should never be afraid to surrender. You may not understand a lot of things that happens in your life. I don't still understand. Many things I understand in respect to you. Many things which I'm going through, I don't understand. But one thing I know, you can trust him. And you can love him. There's nobody like that. Nobody like that. Absolutely nobody like that. To surrender, then keep your eyes on eternity. Be brave to pray every day. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in my life. Forget the world. And whether you pray or not will happen. But what matters is, will it happen in our life? Surrender. Look at eternal and surrender. And look at eternal and not at the temporal. Things will start making sense. Amen? We shall stand up. We shall pray. If you want to take a moment, <clears throat> just between you and God, you don't even have to voice it. You can just, through your heart, speak to God and say, Lord, <clears throat> here I am, as messed as I may be. Spots and blemish What's all, all it, it all, Father? This is all I am. But this is all I have. I surrender. Do you know this morning there was an offertory? In that offertory, there will be many notes. Some notes are fresh from the printing press. Some are old and soiled. But the old is soiled 100 rupees and the fresh has the same value. Because that's how you count it. You may be absolutely soiled. And somebody else may be absolutely unsoiled. But until you commit yourself, you have no value in God's kingdom. But if you commit yourself, both will have the same value. Same value. Maybe you have done it before. It doesn't matter. Keep surrendering. That's we are called to. That's what we do every day when we wake up in the morning. We surrender ourselves afresh. Here I am. Let your will be done, Lord, in my life. Then, make a decision to start putting the eternal first. Not to ignore the temporal, because we live in the temporal, but to put the eternal first. 
And his promise is still true, always true. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, which is eternal, unseen. All these things shall be added unto you. That is the temporal, the seen. In that one verse, God has given us the standard, the direction. Put my kingdom first. The temporal will follow. I will add all that you need in your life. I will add. Make these two commitments today. And lean on to his grace each day and continue. And I tell you in the strength of God's word, you will be ready for his coming. Because the one who promised is faithful. If we do what we can do, because we have the freedom to choose, he will do what only he can do. If we surrender, he is faithful. The word of God says, the God of peace will sanctify us, spirit, soul and body, and keep us blameless until the hour of the Lord's coming. And he is faithful and he will do it. But there is something which we need to do. We need to surrender. We need to take our eyes off the temporal. Look at him who is invisible. Father, we just come to you, Lord. We just thank you. We just thank you. We just thank you. Everyone standing here. Every who has made that commitment to you, Lord. Even when we make these commitments, we know we are weak. And we cannot keep it without your strength, without your power, without your grace. But you will not do that until we surrender first. So I believe, Lord, your children have made that decision in their hearts today. They are surrendering. They are seeking your help to put the kingdom first, the eternal first. And I believe they will see things happening in their life. That God will start moving things in their life so that, O oh Lord, the appointed end can come to pass. As it was with Joseph, as it was with Job, the appointed perfect end will happen for everyone, Lord. Because as a father, you have no bad plans for any child. All your plans are good, they are pleasing, and above all, they are perfect for he or she who endures till the end. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Speak healing into every sick body. Lisa, who is not well, many online who are not well, we speak healing. Speak strength into every person who is weak. And speak deliverance into every person who is oppressed. And I pray, touch every offended heart that they may let go. Every unforgiving heart that they may forgive. That seasons of refreshing may come in their life too, Lord. <clears throat> Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Once again, Lord, because everything we believe has to be confessed. And it has to be confessed until we believe. We confess, we love you. We love you. And we confess, we trust you. Even when we do not understand, we trust you. Because when we look at the cross, we trust you. 
we love you and we trust you, Father. And one day when we see you face to face, it will be so easy to love you and to walk with you for all of eternity, Lord. Thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. We stand in your house. We declare as your people, <coughs> by faith, thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. All God's people said, Amen. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with each one of us. Amen. Amen.